Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. Our new our new issue is just about up. It's going to be up in a day or two, I think. And, oh, my conversation with the fascinating Claudia Rowe. Claudia Rowe, journalist who in the 90s began a correspondence with a serial killer, of all people, and had quite the journey with that. It's a kind of half-memoir, The Spider and the Fly. Fascinating woman, fascinating conversation. It should be up in just a couple days. Uh we're also funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. PNWA gives all kinds of help for writers. They do a monthly meeting. Where they talk about the craft and the business of writing. And even if you're not a member of the PNWA, or that is to say even if you're a member but you don't live in Seattle, that's where the meetings happen, or in the Seattle area, don't worry. We broadcast them live over the Internet, so if you, you can be a member from as far away as Timbuktu, it doesn't matter. You can find out about the PNWA and their great yearly writers' conference at pnwa.org. Speaking of writers' conferences, I will be teaching Fearless Writing, a kind of a long one-day or half-day workshop at Write on the River out there in Wenatchee, Washington on February 24th. It's a one-day workshop. I will be critiquing people's work one-on-one, -on -one, kind of coaching you through your work and talking to you about fearless writing, fearless writing, talking to you about the emotional journey of writing. If you want to sign up for that, go on my website. It's listed there. Or you can go on Right on the River, Right on the River. That's where it's happening. Wenatchee, February 24th, one-day, half-day workshop. Can't wait. And I can't wait to talk to today's guest. Oh, Spring Washam. I'm so glad I got her on the show. Spring is a founding member and core teacher at the East Bay Meditation Center. She's also the founder of Lotus Vine Journeys. It's an organization that blends indigenous healing practices with Buddhist wisdom. And in addition to being a teacher, she's also a healer, facilitator, spiritual activist, and the author of, uh, I do recommend it, A Fierce Heart, Finding Strength, Courage, and Wisdom in Any Moment. Spring, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here because, well, I'm just happy to have you here, but I should say that the, the subject of this book is, is one that I have been thinking about a lot for the last few years, finding mm -hmm. strength, courage, and wisdom in any moment. That seems to me, having read this, uh, that that's really the key element of that title it's any moment am i wrong any moment not just at you the right time are right but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i have to say you uh in terms of any you've had some moments in your life that not many people would want to have lived through probably uh you took a long, you took quite the journey to come here let's talk just a little bit about your life before we get to this book because like i've had a great good fortune to interview a lot of spiritual teachers and your story is not dissimilar meaning in that you you went down far before you came up 
you kind of had to hit bottom in your own way. Would you say that's fair? I would. Yeah. Describe bottom to us. <laughs> what was Springs bottom? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think I, I think so many of us have touched that place at one moment or another in our lives. You know, bottom can be an actual physical place or it can be an emotional one. Yeah. You know, a place where we just—it's the dark night of the, you know, the dark night of the soul moment. That could be a bottom, you know, for a lot of people. But yeah, and I think the one of the key emphases of the book is that there's something beautiful about the bottom. There's something yeah. about the bottom that not only is beautiful, even though it's gut wrenching and painful and hard and all of that, but there's also something that's awakening in it. It's enlivening. It's freeing something. Once we get yeah. through it, that's the that's the key. You know, once it's over, then we see the jewels and the silver lining. But yeah, that's kind of the the point of the book is to think about using everyday moments and those really bottomed out uh, phases and episodes in our lives. Well, I thought you did a nice job of, I mean, there's a lot of teaching in the book, but you also do a fair amount of stories and you tell your own story. And you had, um, you had a rough, uh, your family had all kinds of problems. I thought you wrote with great compassion about your parents who obviously had a lot of problems that they, that you were born into two people going, hitting their own bottom in a way sort of about the time you showed up. Yeah. Um, and and that really was the beginning of your, the really the, the hard part of your life. And actually at an early age, you perceived that life might be hard for you, didn't you? Like at five or so? Yeah, I did. I had this very clear moment of looking around, you know, I was sort of, and I was always very philosophical when I was younger. I was always looking at um, things around me and confused by the actions of others or the suffering or the violence I saw in my neighborhood. But yeah, with my parents, it became very clear um, there was going to be some challenges. There was no money, you know, we're African-American children, uh, my parents right. were very confused and childlike and, my, you know, all kinds of emotional things. I remember going, oh, no. <laughs> right. This is where it starts. And so, yeah, that was a profound insight to be so young. Wow, so at five, you really thought that? that I did, really did. <laughs> I remember I have a sister who's a couple years older, and both of us re- remember that, that moment where I turned to her and I said, you know, this is going to be a tough one. I don't know if we were, I don't know the exact time if we were left alone or what was going on, but there was some chaos, and um, I had that clear thought. Wow. Kids, you you know, it's a weird thing, but children can see things incredibly clear. I remember when I was like eight or nine, and I was playing in my backyard, and there was a guy who lived right behind us, and our backyard abutted his. There was nothing between us but some bushes. So we kind of could peer into each other's yards. And he always had a beer in his hand, and he was overweight, and he always seemed to be grousing and getting angry at everybody. And and um, I was out there playing, and I was making noise, and he came out and started barking at me. Shut up, you're making too much noise, and blah, 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 blah. And you know what I thought? I thought, he's forgotten what it is to be a child. <laughs> That's what I thought at nine. And I think I was dead on. So I think that I think it's so cool the way wisdom is sort of available to us at any time, I think. 
Yeah, and I think we underestimate the capacity of children, actually. In other, you know, traveling around Asia and other parts of the world, often children in the Buddhist tradition uh, go into monastic, um, you know, places at an early age. They're ordained and, you know, there's not saying that that's a good thing, but their, their capacity to know certain things is there. Yeah. But you didn't come to these this sort of spiritual journey as a child. You had to go through your young adulthood, a lot of crazy relationships and drugs and the sort of normal things that people do to, to when they're in pain. Um, but you found uh, – did you find meditation first or did you find Buddhism first? Did you find meditation first? Was that your first sort of grounding practice? Yeah. Well, I think as a teenager, uh, in my late teens, I really got into studying psychology. I wanted to understand, you know, I had this very clear sense, something's going on with my mind. I've got a thinking problem, and all these people have thinking problems, too. So I got very interested in psychology. And then that led me a few years later, somebody left a book at my house by accident. I moved into a new apartment, and they left a book on meditation. And when I read that book, now this was 20 years ago, so there's, right. there wasn't all the apps and the online, you know, this, 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 <laughs> right. there, this stuff is new, what's going on now. I love that it's so accessible. You can learn and teach yourself, but there was none of that. And so someone left this book on meditation, and when I read it, it just, what it did was it helped me to remember um a spiritual life, that I wanted to live a spiritual life. That's what that book did. It inspired me to want to live differently. And it, it so, sort of woke me up, that book. Do you remember the name of the book again? I'm sorry. Do you, do you remember what the, the book, book was? The book was by Paramahasa Yogananda, actually, the founder oh, of Self-Realization Fellowship. He wrote that book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Oh, okay. Um, that's kind of a classic in the spiritual you know, genre of those looking right. for, you know, those kind of books. But I remember the title is called Man's Eternal Quest and had a picture of an Indian guru with long hair. And it was the whole book was about meditation. So so I did that. I, I was practicing on my own for about a year and not doing very well because I didn't right. know what I was, you know, in the book it just said focus on God, you know, and I thought, all right, I can do this. I can sit for hours and focus on that. Well, I couldn't. My mind was right. insane. I, all I right. did was think about my problems, and suddenly I was thinking, this isn't really meditation. So after right. about a year, it started to really become clear that I needed a teacher. And I heard about this retreat happening uh, in Southern California where somebody told me they give you vegetarian food, it's silent, and they give you teachings on meditation every day. And I didn't even know what the retreat was about. I didn't know who was hosting the retreat. And my life had fallen apart right before then. And I drove to this retreat, and it happened to be a Buddhist-based retreat. And so huh. there I was exposed to the teachings of the Buddha. And then yeah. and from there it becomes, that's kind of where the, the another story starts. One story ends and another one picks up right from that moment of that retreat. The ending of that retreat is like a new path. And so in your life, you really see your life before and after that retreat? Yeah, in some ways, yes. It was almost like I had to 
go through all these different experiences, um, rather one calls it, you know, a path of purification or karma or, you know, these all those experiences in my life, now they make sense to me because there was something in those early years that was forged in me, a kind of inner determination, a self-reliancy, and also the ability at a very young age. I left my, you know, living with my mother when I was 15 and hadn't seen my biological father in many years. It, what right. it did for me was that I, was, I had to find my own voice, my own way. Now that's traumatizing right. and liberating, right? Because you don't know anything yep. at that age, no. you know. So there goes the traumas, you you know. But that I didn't need a lot of that to wake up. It's intense, but um, you know, after that first retreat that I went to for ten days, something really happened where I, I began to live in the present moment, or I began to understand what does it mean to be here now in my body. So that was that was a big turning. So that that sort of set me on a whole different course. So, well, so being in the present moment, uh, you know, I was telling my writing students that if you want to write, um, you have to be in the present moment because you can't write in the past and you can't write in the future. Creation can only happen in one place, you know. And I think a lot of us, myself included, spend a lot of time sort of worrying a bit about the future and sort of you know, gnawing and, and regretting the past. And it's, and it's somewhat unusual, or it takes more um, consciousness to come into the present. And did meditation help you with that? Yeah, that's what I learned what meditation really is. It's this, it's, you know, it's this ability to uh, come into the present moment, not lost in the stories and the nightmares that, you know, we tell ourselves over and over that's the right. waking up is, you know, sort of turning the TV off and feeling our feet on the ground. You know, we yeah. might not have done that for years. You know, we just kind of live in this world, you know, that are painful. It would be different if they yes. were fun, but for most people, it's suffering. They're painful. But so. the challenge, the challenge spring, it seems to me, is recognizing. So you used a good metaphor that I like there. You said the TV is on. We recognize the t- and. I like this metaphor because it's, so it's like the TV's on and it's showing you a show you would never watch if you could choose. If you could change the channel, you wouldn't watch the <laughs> show. But in your mind, right, this show is on. But it seems to me the challenge is recognizing that there's just a show on, that it's not reality, that there's this thing running. Exactly. Because we just come to call it reality. Yes, we do. And that's what right? everybody tells us is real. You know, everybody, yes. it's a collective movement into that. That's why, you know, we say in, in Dharma world that we're going against the stream. You know, the stream is going towards, this is real, this is real, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. a few people are going, I don't know about this, everyone. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're sort of getting off that ride, you know. like, And it's hard to get off that ride, you know. So, it But is. it's a process, and practice helps. Meditation helps. I think practice is you just have to practice it. I think it's a I was you know you hear the expression I found God. I always thought hey, you can you have to find God every single thought you think. <laughs> it's not a one time like point on a grid, you know. Exactly. It's a, it's a moment it. and you have to keep remembering and finding that moment in all the moments. Every, exactly. That's right. And that's what your book's about. Finding wisdom, strength and courage, strength, courage and wisdom in any moment. And so let's talk about that because I think you said that the stream that the Dharma 
Dharma goes against, I would describe that stream as your happiness. I'll describe it this way. The story that I think is running in a lot of people's minds, I think runs in mine still. I still have to remember this, even though I write and teach about the opposite. But the story goes something like this. Uh, your conditions determine your well-being. Your weight, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your house, who's president, the economy, blah, blah. All these things are what determine how you, what your life is, whether you have strength, courage, happiness. And you're kind of, well, not kind of, but you're saying no, that's not the case. It's not well, conditional. Well, I think, I think what I'm saying is that, that that only can give us a certain amount of happiness. If, if, if things being perfect made people happy, the U.S. would be, uh, you know, the leader in happiness. Right, if conditions right. were right. alone, if I got the right house, if I mean, haven't we kind of proven that theory in a way, right? That there are well, people, yeah. you know, I remember early on in my teacher training, I would meet people that were on the cover of Yoga Journal, and they would, you know, they would have everything, and I would think, wow, they're going to have it together, <laughs> and then I would meet with right. them on the retreat, and they would be in an abusive relationship, or maybe also have oh, an eating disorder. Right. Their life would be, it was all like kind of an illusion. And right. I think, I think what we're looking at is what's deeper than external conditions, because all of that comfort isn't really going to do much when you're sad, or you're terrified, right. or you're, you know, you're you're depressed, or you're at rock bottom, and maybe you're in a beautiful home at the bottom. There you are. Right. You're at the emotional bottom, and that's, and that has become more of people's everyday experience in our culture. It's just kind of masked over. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a funny thing, Spring, is that, um, I mean, how many millionaires need to commit suicide before we know that that ain't going to do it? Like, how many, how many famous actors need to overdose on heroin? Before you know, there's just the we all the, the the examples are limitless, but it doesn't change the narrative. That if only I mean we I think right. we all suffer with this. If only I had the book deal, if only I had that job, lost that weight. It's so it's so compelling that only if you know <laughs> it is yeah. It's so yeah, oh, but, really, but just this one it, thing. Yes. Yes. But, you right. know, we're also bombarded, too, by advertising that also sells that. If you just oh, got this one thing, right? Everywhere yeah, we yeah, look, yeah. It's what, it's, it's, that, that view is reinforced from the covers of, of magazines yeah. to billboards, bus, you know, terminal images. Yeah. You know, everything's like, yeah, get that one thing. It's completely outside of you, but <laughs> right. this is it. And then we get it, right? right. There's two right. things that I think it was Rumi uh, wrote. There's two things that, you know, create suffering not getting what you want and getting what you want right you get the thing and then now what something right. else you know so that right. it's yeah but i know i understand that and occasionally i get caught up in that wanting some sure. one thing and 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 it's all i think it's okay but i i think it's time to look a little bit deeper and i think the suffering and what is i think is important about the book is i say that your suffering is your doorway because it's alerting you that your values are not aligned, that something isn't working. Right. And when we try to just medicate that suffering or push it away and just get back on with the program, go back to work, don't right. question it, there's something very powerful that is trying to get our attention. 
and um, I, the suffering becomes the liberator. It, that's, it's an indicator. Uh, does, it, does it drive you crazy? I, I don't know. Maybe you don't watch television. I watch television sometimes, and there's all these ads for drugs. There's so many ads for medications, and they're all trying to – so many of them are medicating suffering. And I thought you are – it's yeah. almost like saying <laughs> you don't want to have the ability to feel the heat of the fire as your hand gets next to it. You would never take that away. And I absolutely agree I that the know. suffering, it's information. It's not punishment. It's yes. information, right? Yes. It feels yeah, like it's a, punishment. It's an alarm system that's saying that's right. how we're living, how we're, is not good for our bodies. And the, yeah, and I, but that's just how, how kind of, that's why it evokes compassion for me. Yeah. Because we don't, well, we're, we're, it, it's no other response than that. Well, and what's the right now in 2018? What is the biggest uh, sort of public health crisis in America right now that I didn't even wasn't really even aware of I myself until a year ago, which is opioids, right? Opioids. Mm-hmm. And what is that? That is just painkillers. Painkillers are the right. biggest addiction happening right now, and that to me is just tells you everything you need to know. People, I think there's a lot of people afraid of pain who misunderstand it misunderstand it and so they just medicate it medicate yeah. it medicate it oh, but you don't want to medicate it you want to say find strength and courage in any moment and when you go to the teaching do you meet resistance from your students who are like hey wait, wait any moment any moment you got to be kidding me or are they open to it when they come to your teach it to your classes and your center well i think one of the things that people learn really quickly is sometimes you don't get to choose the moment is on upon you, and there you right. are, you know, at right. the bottom. Nobody right. goes up, wakes up, and goes, well, I'm going to hit rock bottom, right? Nobody right. wants that. All our actions no. are really about happiness. This is going to make me happy, right, if I get this right. thing, if this happens, this relationship or this drug, if I take enough opioids and or whatever, right. you know, it, it's going to be happy. I'm going to have a good day, right? So nobody you know, chooses to be, you know, on their knees and just begging for help or prayer or, you know, these moments come sometimes out of the blue. Sometimes it comes with a diagnosis. Sometimes somebody dies. The impermanence of life, we don't control this. A fire happens and everything we loved is gone in one moment. So a fierce heart isn't about that. It's about how do we respond when we're there um, and what I'm saying is that the heart can hold it. That's what's fierce about it. The heart can hold it all. The injustices right. of the world, the poverty, the sorrows, and the joys. You know, it's not just the 10,000 sorrows. It's also the 10,000 joys of life. But you don't get right. to live a human life without both. And to think that we can so. is um, delusion. Do you have uh, do you have children? I don't. I don't. Okay, well, it, I know. it's okay. I, was, I, I just, wish but I, I was did. Thinking, I, I love children. I would be, well, I would it's be a, very it's an interesting, excited by that. It's an interesting <laughs> journey, to say the least. I have a couple boys. And it's a funny thing we go through with kids, which is that you never want your kids to suffer. I don't. Th- I think I'm like most. I mean, I know they will. I mean, I'm wise enough to. But I, I think if I could just, if only they, these two boys, could go from here on out never suffer as if that's a full life but of course they're going to and i haven't they've it's already happened it's too late you know um but there's a weird and i don't want to suffer 
I don't want to do it. Not me. But it happens. No, none of us does. No. no, and that's I think that's a human desire that we want to avoid suffering and, and be happy. But sometimes the suffering of life is unavoidable. That's sort of the fundamental teachings of Buddhism, is that in life there is suffering. And they're suffering of dying, they're suffering of getting sick, they're suffering of being separated from those we love. They're suffering because the nature of life is impermanent. No matter how much right. we want to hold on to something, it goes when it's supposed to go. Everything has an expiration date. And that well, is deeply um, troubling to us. The physical world is impermanent. I have to say, what I think of as the spiritual world, that from which, where I, where I go to write, I would say, where my attention goes when I create, that does not feel impermanent to me. It feels fluid, but not impermanent. That's my experience of it. The physical world, however, is as impermanent as paper, it seems to me. But the thing from which, or I suppose even I meditate too, sort of where I go when I meditate feels kind of eternal, actually. I don't know if you experience it that way, but that's how I find it. Yeah, so I think what you're you're pointing to is maybe tapping into the present moment is eternal. Yeah. The nowness, right? When you're when yeah. you're present and that creativity flows out of that space of stillness. And I yep. do think that stillness there's something to that that is um yeah, always here. Yeah. But it's unconditional. You you can find it. You can find that stillness. I think in any single any moment, it may be easier in some than others. But I think you can find it in any moment. You know. Yeah, and I think that's what we're trying to train our mind to do when we say, "Okay, I'll have a daily practice." We're really training in that. Yeah. We're really saying, "I'm going to practice resting in this moment, seeing, feeling this moment." Did you find anything writing this book? So obviously you're teaching this, you teach this, and you talk to people about it, you learn it, you think about it, and then you sat down and wrote about it. Did you find anything in writing about it that you felt you learned in just from the writing of it, I mean, in this about this subject? Oh, yeah. My writing process, I should come back and do another show on all the ups and downs of the writing process. This book was two years late. And during the ah. process, I took a year off to just investigate myself. Like, really? you know, questions like, am I really being real here? Oh. <laughs> and then going a deeper layer. Yeah, this, you know, book process took me inside out. It was a spiritual experience. Oh, on many levels. It was a teacher um from the beginning till the end. It still is. I'm still growing from it. I think we all do. Everything. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. And for so, sure. Well, that's good yeah, to know. That, you know lot. what that means? Spring, you know what that means? Someone who talks about writing and talks to writers and writes about writing. It's really relentless with me. But that tells me that you did it right. You did You did it the Aww. way it's supposed to be done in my mind. Yes, you you that's good you want it, sh- it should be like that you should feel like you've gone on a journey you should feel lost <laughs> you should probably feel oh confused. i was all of that i probably still have a good. little not so much lost but wow i i did it it sent me searching inside myself in a much deeper yeah. way much good. deeper so i have a lot of gratitude for that i was just talking to a client of mine who's a wonderful 
teacher of her own, but she's writing, she wants to write a book, and she realizes that she just told me, she, even though she's a great teacher, that she looks upon her, when she's writing, she thinks of herself as a student in that moment. Yeah. And I think that's the proper oh, that's relationship. Oh, that's brilliant. Anytime you can think of yourself as a student, you're open then. If you if you become yes. a professional, yeah, good luck, right? We always tell people, yeah. don't become a professional meditator. All the magic oh. is gone then. Stay oh, open. Good advice. Student, receptive. It, right. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yes, you got to be open to. I I met a great teacher once. He was a he was a, um, uh, a swami, a swami, and he had a big old ashram out in India. But he was here promoting a book, and I was young to the spiritual teaching world, and he was so steeped in this stuff. But he was we had nothing to do, and he just asked me some questions. I started talking to him about Beethoven and Shakespeare and William Blake, and just talking and talking and talking about all these things. And he just said, "Tell me another story. Tell me another story. Tell me another story." And I thought. And even as I was telling him these stories and loving it because he was such a good listener, I thought, now that's a good teacher because he is – look at how he's learning right now. And this is a guy who teaches all over the world. And he's sitting here with me just listening to my stories because he never stops. And I thought, I love talking, but I hope someday I can listen as well as that guy. And I'm still learning. Yeah. Well, me too. Are you? You still learning how to do it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I learned so much. I I learned so much all the time about myself and humanity and when to be still and when to listen and when to speak and why am I speaking and why do I even want to write this now? You know, what am I writing now? What am I trying to communicate? I think it's right. healthy. You know, as long as it's coming from compassion, not self-hatred and criticism, but a healthy way to yeah, and the humility and the compassion that comes with just living our lives yes it's good now i have one more question for you but before i get to it uh if people want to know about you and they want to maybe take a class with you or find out when you're speaking somewhere they should go where where they should go to is it springwashem.com i can't remember the exact website off the top of my head Yep, that's it. It's pretty simple. Springwashem.com, and they can find me on my website, and I have a lot of social media and YouTube channel with great content to help uplift. And Yes, and I have a whole schedule there. They can can find me. Excellent. All right, but you're not done yet. I've got one more question for you, Spring. Uh, What I'd like you to do is finish this sentence. If if writing, I mean, just not this book particular, but just writing in general has taught you anything, taught you what to be more real ah authenticity that's the root word author that's the root word be authentic is that the root word yes i'm learning here (laughs) (laughs) well i never considered myself a writer i still say to this day i'm not a writer i'm not a writer i swear you just keep saying that And then you'll write your next book, and we'll see if you still say it. That's right. Be more real. That's awesome. Writing helps. It does ask, you know, that's what that blank page says. What are you? What do you want to say? Yes. What's true? Come on, Mm -hmm. baby. What's true? That's great. That's great, Spring. Well, I'm so glad I got you on the show. And now listen, if you write another book, and I think you might, maybe you'll come back on. Would you do that? I would, and I, I love what you're doing for authors and writers, and it's been so fun chatting with you, and I'd be honored to return any any time, in any moment. Oh, at any moment. That's excellent. 
Oh, Spring, it was great to talk to you. Good luck with the book and all your teaching. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Oh, be more real. Be more real, people. You really can't be real enough. It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, I will be back again next week talking to the wonderful Tama Keys. I can't wait. Until then, do something you really love. Anything doesn't matter. 